Glory to Jesus Christ. My name is Hugo Mendez. I'm an assistant professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where I teach New Testament and early Christianity. I'm also a Byzantine Catholic layman who attends the Newman Center at UNC. I've been asked by the Diocese of Raleigh to produce a series of podcasts exploring the gospel readings prescribed for the Triduum, that is, for the liturgies of Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. In this episode, I'll be looking specifically at the readings prescribed for the night of Maundy Thursday. Now, on that night, Roman Catholics celebrate the Mass of the Last Supper, that is, the Mass that commemorates the first Mass, the gathering at which Jesus, on the night before his death, celebrated the first Eucharist in the presence of his disciples. In the Mass, we read an account of that celebration. But interestingly, that account comes not from a particular gospel like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but from an epistle. Specifically, we read Paul's account of that night in his first letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 13, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was handed over, took bread, and after he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Now this same event, the institution of the Eucharist, is also narrated in most of the Gospels in the New Testament. We find it described in Matthew 26, in Mark 14, and in Luke 22. But oddly enough, no mention of the first Eucharist occurs in the Gospel of John. It's really remarkable. It's the one and only Gospel in the New Testament that does not describe the event. And so, we can appreciate the irony that the Roman lectionary appoints not Matthew, not Mark, not Luke, for the Gospel on Maundy Thursday night, but the Gospel of John. Specifically, it invites us to read John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. Now, admittedly, this passage in John does describe the same night, the same gathering between Jesus and his disciples. The Gospel even mentions that a supper is going on in verses 2 and 3. But what it does is describe for us what else happened that night, what else Jesus said and did in the company of his disciples. In other words, it complements what we know from Paul and from the other Gospels. It seems to deliberately skip over those things that we already know as John's readers, and it gives us other sources, additional information, stories we haven't heard about that night. In the passage the church reads on Maundy Thursday, the gospel describes something else occurring during the supper that no other gospel, no other writing in the New Testament preserves. So let's look at it more closely. We begin with verse 1. Before the feast of Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to pass from the world to the Father. 
He loved his own in the world, and he loved them to the end. Now, at the beginning of this passage, John emphasizes the supernatural knowledge of Jesus. John, after all, is the one gospel that expressly calls Jesus God. You recall the first line of the gospel, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In this passage, the gospel begins by reminding us, by pointing us to Jesus' divine foreknowledge. Jesus, at the Feast of the Passover, is aware that he's about to leave the world and that he is going to ascend to the Father. So the passage continues, The devil had already induced Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, to hand him over. So, during the supper, and notice it mentions the supper, fully aware that the Father had put everything into his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, Jesus rose from supper, and took off his outer garments. He took a towel and tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. Now, we are familiar with this scene. Part of what makes Maundy Thursday so special is that it commemorates the mandatum of Jesus, Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples and commanding his disciples to do likewise. And as Catholics, we often reflect on this gesture on the part of Jesus as a symbol of his love and his service. He came to the world. He humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, as Paul says, to serve others. And we, in the same Mass, think about the importance of serving one another. As Jesus says later in verses 14 and 15, which form part of the gospel reading, If I, therefore, the master and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you a model to follow, so that as I have done for you, you should also do. But there's a little more happening here than merely earthly hospitality, earthly service, earthly washing of feet. If we look more closely at the Gospel of John, a gospel that is always rich with symbolism, Jesus adds an additional symbolic meaning to what he does. And this symbolic meaning is even clearer when, later, Jesus says to his disciples, not all of you are clean in the verses that follow. The narrator says that he says not all of you are clean, knowing who would betray him. The act of washing his disciples' feet has a hidden meaning, a symbolism. It represents a spiritual cleansing, a spiritual preparation. But a preparation for what? In the ancient world, foot washing was an essential preparation when entering someone's house. People bathed infrequently, and they walked, sometimes barefoot, on unpaved streets or through fields with dirt and animal feces, and so their feet were, quite naturally, filthy. To enter into a house, then, and to share a meal with a host, one would customarily have his or her feet washed, 
a host would provide water, even servants, to wash the feet of those entering their houses. It is especially telling, then, that after Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he speaks of the disciples entering the Father's house. Now, this discussion doesn't appear in the particular passage that the church assigns for Maundy Thursday, which stops at verse 15. But it does appear as the scene continues in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus tells his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God. Have faith also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If there were not, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you also may be. At the beginning of the Gospel reading for Monday Thursday, the narrator told us that Jesus knew he was going to the Father. What Jesus reveals to his disciples as the supper continues is that although he is leaving, he will not leave the disciples behind. He is going to the Father's house precisely to prepare a place for them there so that they too can dwell with the Father. What Jesus is doing then in washing the disciples' feet is welcoming them into the Father's house. He is foreshadowing, symbolizing their reception into that house. It's a symbolic act. It's an eschatological act. It points us to that future reality. So John, among the Gospels, may not describe the Eucharist per se. He may not sit down and tell us about the institution of this sacrament. But he does describe what the sacrament is ultimately about. It's about welcoming. By washing his disciples' feet, Jesus welcomes them into the Father's house, just as by sharing a meal with them. The scene described in the other Gospels, he gives them a foretaste of the meal they will share in the Father's house, the eternal banquet they will enjoy with God. John works in parallel with the other Gospels. It complements the other Gospels. It points our attention to what does not appear in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or for that matter, what appears in our epistle from 1 Corinthians 13. It gives us another breathtakingly beautiful spiritual image, an image of being welcomed into the dwelling places of God, a reminder that although Jesus is leaving this world in his resurrection and his ascension, he will take us with him. That's the end of our episode. Thank you for listening. I'll continue in our next episode with a reflection on the gospel for Good Friday. I hope you all continue to have a blessed season of Lent and Holy Week.